this edition of the Future to Work podcast, I sat down with Mark Williams, Ying Zhao and Ming Zhou to discuss their new book, Mapping Good Work, The Quality of Working Life Across the Occupational Structure, published by Bristol University Press. I kicked off the discussion by asking the authors why they decided to write this book and why now. The context of the, the 2010s and the aftermath of the financial crisis where you had uh, record levels of employment, which in terms of labour market is the thing that people, the number of jobs is the thing people are normally concerned about. But at the same time, there was uh, stagnating wages uh, after a period of several decades of uh, very strong wage growth broadly. Um, and then a growing focus on precariousness and increasing questions about the quality of work more broadly. Um, then this culminated in a government report called the Taylor Review, which started to popularise this, this notion of, of good work, those two words together in combination, and set out to uh, define a good job is, is more than just these issues of bogus self-employment and uh, precariousness and insecurity, uh, but these other things uh, as well, like participation and the design of the job, etc. So at the kind of highest levels of government, report was published in 2017. There was this recognition that good work is more than a job that pays decently and is reasonably secure. And at the same time, there was uh, been uh, for a while growing governmental interest in in uh, well-being more generally and uh, evaluating policy in uh, well-being terms and kind of moving away from just focusing on narrow uh, financial measures. Then the third sort of contextual feature, I guess, which prompted it was just also an increasing interest in inequality. So this book is is not just about good work, it's specifically about the inequality in good work. And there's been a growing interest in inequality around the time in the aftermath of the financial crisis. You have things like the Occupy Wall Street, um, but also at policy level, specifically quality of work and how to measure it, certainly in a UK context. And I guess that, that was where our contribution uh, comes in, really. So uh, this book kind of seeks to map good work, as you say, like building upon the kind of the, the Taylor review, these ideas around well-being, but also this, these questions around uh, the inequality in kind of uh, good work as well. Um, so what do you what do you mean in the book when you say good work? Because you say the Taylor review has a particular idea about what good work means. How do you define kind of what what good work is and then what's what's kind of included in that? And then also what's potentially excluded from that? So good work is um, the sort of Taylor Review type definition. It's not necessarily something we would, uh, I think, question or critique. It, it's, it's tried to be uh, balanced. So it includes things like the, the terms of employment, how much job pays, how, how secure it is, having guaranteed numbers of hours, and then includes these other aspects of work, like I said, like the, the job design, the, the actual tasks and how they are organised participation etc so I think we kind of adopted as best as we could that kind of definition because it wasn't something we necessarily disagreed with I think most sort of policy definitions converge on a um, a, there's there's a certain degree of agreement maybe terminology might not necessarily always be the same but that generally there's broad agreement and so we were kind of writing in in that sort of uh, tradition and also of course we wanted to write something that was relevant. I don't think we wanted to kind of come up, reinvent the wheel, so to speak, and come up with a different definition of good work and, and confuse people. 
Um, but when it came to the kind of actual empirical analysis, there's, uh, I guess, a bit of a mismatch between uh, how, how we these sort of policy definitions and what we end up doing, uh, primarily just due to data limitations that the main sort of uh, this main survey we used has some has some gaps. So those, if if I could collect such a big survey again, um, you know, I would with the, the sufficient resources, what we ended up measuring may be a bit different and a bit more i would hope the kind of policy definitions of good work for example things like the social side of work uh, were missing which is very important from a well-being perspective because they just weren't the measures um, certain aspects of uh, insecurity like uh, especially topical ones now like hours insecurity uh, and other aspects of very low job quality non-compliance and things like that uh, in just lack those kind of measures the data set we used was just wasn't good enough in that respect or no data set was this is to, to be fair this is the best data set uh, by far in the world if you want to study job quality uh, but of course it just doesn't contain uh, everything so to actually answer your question about uh, what does uh, good work involve what well, involves is a job that is not just one that is reasonably secure and pays a decent wage doesn't have to be brilliantly really high paid but work that is um, in, a, in sort of everyday terms without using the, the technical terms that we kind of use in the book is is, is challenging interesting work that you have um, a degree of control over what what you're doing um, you have a you can have control over your working time when you start and finish work you have uh, a say over your organization if you are working in an organization you have some uh, opportunity to have your voice heard it's work also that is not overly demanding so having lots of control and challenging work of course can be very stressful so it has to be the the demands of the job have to not be uh, too excessive and so all which all these things combined is is good work so yeah to, or a simpler way of putting it i suppose is good work is work that is, has really high potential uh, for uh, for really high well-being in a, in a, in a sentence. <laughs> I'd like to add two points here. One thing is, you know, um, from, uh, in this book, um, we take the angle from the employees because you know, when it comes to good work, how is it defined? So our emphasis is really from the employee's perspective. So that's one thing. And another thing is, you know, as Marco has already mentioned, when people talk about good, uh, good work, um, from, from our perspective, it's kind of multidimensional. And yet we use a single index to summarize what good work really is. Yeah, I guess I had another question there about um, this thing about, is there, do you think there's a difference between, because you, yeah, because your, your, um, your methodology and survey relies upon, upon actually asking workers what they actually kind of think about their jobs and stuff like that. Do you think there's a, any sort of difference between what work workers actually say and what they actually kind of feel and think within within their jobs so yeah that's true there's there's always um i mean as a social scientist you're always careful about uh, making kind of statements that people don't necessarily know what's uh, good for them uh, but there is obviously kind of evidence for, for those kind of statements and certainly in the book that is one thing that we looked at so there's two s sorts of questions that were available in the data to kind of uh, gauge people's preferences about uh, how or what they think is good for them in terms of aspects of their job. And the, the most obvious and direct 
ways. Just ask them. Here's a list of stuff that you can that you look for in a job. Um, how would you rate them as important to you when you're looking for a job? And so we present some evidence of that. And then another way, because of I said, you know, people don't necessarily know what's good for them. Uh, I mean, for, for I guess this has been shown uh, in uh, in kind of psychological theories about things, for theories of loss aversion. You know, people uh, weigh uh, losing things much more than than gaining things. Maybe you might underestimate the uh, kind of non-material aspects of the world to their well-being and focus on getting all the material improve the material side of their lives uh, to their peril. They don't really affect their well-being as much. Um, and so the second way is by looking at how uh, these things in various different ways actually correlate with, with job satisfaction. And uh, both these different approaches, which are detailed in the book, kind of all point towards the same direction. That uh, And also maybe surprising to some people, and certainly in debates about the quality of work, is that in general, it's the work itself is the thing that stands out as the, the thing that's most consequential for your well-being, but also what workers themselves report as as being uh, what they look for in a job as well. If you think about when you change a job, you, know, you might look for kind of promotions or pay rises or, or security or better security or whatever. But for the vast majority of job changes, it's, it's something to do in in the job, the work environment that you feel like you've reached your limit, it's not not as challenging. You've kind of stagnated a bit, or something to do with a particular colleagues or whatever that you don't like. Um, but uh, of course, it's very different for people who are who are you know the, the the minority of workers who are really at the low end, sharp end of the labour market, where uh, they're struggling just to make ends meet. But for the majority of workers, I think this this is is the case. It's the work itself, the actual tasks, what you're doing in your job, is um, is is most consequential. And, and these different ways of, of getting at it, the kind of direct and indirect way, seem to support toward that uh, seem to point towards the same conclusion. Hmm. So what was the, so maybe moving kind of onto sort of the some of the findings and what what were some of the kind of um, what what were some of your main findings of, of the good work in index and and also specifically in terms of the kind of intrinsic versus extrinsic factors that affect that affect uh, good work and um so maybe we'll start with that question about the kind of intrinsic versus uh, extrinsic uh, findings and okay so the the intrinsic aspects such as uh, how challenging the work is how much of how, the extent to which it, it makes the most of your uh, abilities how varied it is the scope there is for you to uh, develop, etc., are generally more consequential to uh, job satisfaction, at least, than, um, than than how much the job pays. But that's not to say that extrinsic factors don't matter. Uh, clearly, they do, and in particular, security. So, and many studies have shown this that that actually, when it comes to the extrinsic facts of work, that security is 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 really what people are concerned about. And there's been studies recently on uh, kind of uh, insecure zero contract self-employed type workers which uh, experimental evidence which shows that uh, in those sorts of workers or gig economy I guess they're sometimes called uh, are much more uh, it, are willing to trade off higher rates of pay for particular jobs to to get security even if it means there's a high chance overall they'll be what they'll have a lower income because of the security because security is not just about putting 
food on the table and uh, feeding your kids. Obviously, that's a massive part of it. But it's just, it's stressful. It's it's stressful on a day to day basis, and so um, that's why I think it, it certainly rates uh, it comes up much higher. And I think if I'm right in saying of all the facts we consider, it's probably the, like the third or fourth out of the kind of um, nine sort of factors that we look at. So it's really up there. Uh, so I wouldn't want to overemphasize that good work is all about these intrinsic factors. Of course it's not. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's about intrinsic factors and security. So what, so what were the kind of some of the surprising findings that, that you found? What were some of the, after you've kind of d- d- uh, done your kind of analysis and stuff like that, what kind of really surprised you from, from, the, um, from, from your analysis? So in terms of surprising findings, I think that there's a couple really stand out uh, to, I think, certainly surprising in terms of a, a more casual, uh, non-specialist social scientist sort of reader. The, the first one, I think, is in terms of how good work is distributed across the occupational structure. So when we think about uh, good and bad jobs, we tend to think about things that uh, we kind of know about or a bit more visible, like how much jobs paid, low paid versus high paid jobs. Or uh, in our book, we looked at uh, occupational class, which is you know, a widespread measure of kind of uh, social standing or socioeconomic um, position. And so in that sense, the, the book finds that, in, unfortunately, uh, these aren't terrible proxies for kind of how good jobs are, all things considered, that in general, yes, those higher paying jobs uh, have a higher average uh, uh, kind of satisfaction potential and also uh, the, those managerial and professional jobs the chances are much higher because they in general have your obviously higher paid and more secure but also in general tend to have more control over their tasks and a bit more challenging less routine than sort of routine and manual occupations uh, but of course the, the sort of surprises when you drill down into the detail a bit more then you find that there are uh, certain managerial and professional occupations which, when it comes to some of these other kind of, uh, factors that are consequential for well-being, like uh, task discretion, um, skill use, um, and continuous learning requirements, etc., there are some very highly paid occupations that don't do amazingly well on these. Mm. Uh, they're just about average. And so it's sort of occupations falling into sort of very well paid, but quite dull occupations, you might call them things like finance and accounting, um, ICT, software professionals, um, law, legal professional type, because they're quite routine occupations that you're kind of following a script, um, but getting very, very well paid for it. You, you're, you have professional bodies, there's certain ways you have to do things very client-based sorts of um, occupations. There's, you know, there's, you never, if you're, in a sense, accountants get paid very well for being creative, but it's not the kind of, they're not creative in the same way as, um, you know, like an artist or something. (laughs) It's that they're doing it in a very uh, rule-based way. And this comes out in in the data. Uh, And so then there's also the reverse sort of group of occupations, those that, are very low paid but but do very well in these more intrinsic aspects uh so they have quite a lot of autonomy they're very challenging they uh, maybe they have quite a bit of freedom over how they can set their own uh, work schedules as well uh, sort of things you kind of associate with manager and professional jobs uh, 
but they uh, but of course they don't really quite have the pay of those and occupations falling into those kind of categories there's sort of two broad types the first type is uh kind of caring type occupations sort of like so carers and uh child minders nursery nurses so you have these occupations have quite a, a big degree of control over what they're they're doing and obviously very challenging i can't imagine what it'd be like managing you know a, a group of really young kids for example uh, but they're just quite low paid uh, possibly because that they're, they're the kind of you know how the labor market values them in terms of not in terms of kind of qualifications in terms of like social value of, of them they're quite feminized um so there's probably a penalty there and then there's another group of of occupations which are i suppose kind of quite more crafty type occupations the sorts of things that those uh, accountants and software professionals probably and uh, solicitors kind of save up for to do in their spare time like being a baker uh being a um you know being like a pub landlord uh, for example uh, other kind of sort of small business type occupations and, and tradesperson type things you know, they're quite it's a lot of problem solving in there they're quite tough and it's, you need quite a lot of ingenuity and uh, but again they're just not as paid as as well as those manager and professional occupations and and so i think viewing the world in in this way hopefully will challenge those class-based stereotypes about certain types of work in some way and so that that was one main finding i think that it's just you know we don't all have to be manager and professional workers to have a high quality of working life and then uh the, the secondly was in in the sort of the parts of the book which are looking more at the evolution in the occupational structure so there's kind of a, a widespread uh, belief that the labor market is is polarizing into kind of good and bad jobs and uh, this is based on quite a narrow perspective of, of good and bad jobs being defined purely in terms of of their pay and so if you try to look at the look at the evolution in the occupational structure from a kind of more good work perspective where you're looking at things multi-dimensionally then uh you don't really find a stronger evidence for that things look a bit more positive there's been a general evolution in those uh those kind of higher higher quality occupations and not so much a growth in the low paid ones however it's not as necessarily a positive story either because in recent years the the rate of growth in those highest quality occupations is basically stopped so maybe that's where this narrative of um job quality is declining partly comes from is that those kind of highest quality occupations the growth in those has really slowed so i think those will be those are the uh, kind of main surprising findings i also i'd like to add and some some further kind of uh, interesting findings from my side um the one is certainly the overall the uh, it's it's a positive trend i mean you can see in you know, a high quality occupations jobs they are on the rise but then within those those jobs you know there are aspects of job quality actually are declining for example job uh, task uh, discretion uh, autonomy and i think there is another one um, <clears throat> so basically three kind of intrinsic um, job aspects are intensity. intensity yes thank you yes so these three so overall the picture is quite positive but there are certain aspects that are you know that we need to pay attention to 
Yeah, uh, I think on this issue is quite interesting because I, I have got an analogy uh, of what is happening to the occupation structure. You know, in many countries, uh, there has been expansion of university education. Like there is a strong advocate, we should send more people to university to get degrees. For example, in China, there's a huge expansion. So nowadays, we produce so many graduates and degree holders. But if you look at the, the value of the degree, it's not as much as it used to be. Mm. Right? There's sort of inflation. This occupation structure, on the one hand, we see professional and managerial jobs expanding at fast rate. But on the other hand, the quality of these jobs probably is not as good as they used to be. As Min and Mark mentioned, there has been increase in work intensity, a decline in task variety, and decline in task discretion. These are all very important for well-being and overall job quality. So in the book, we said it's a picture of nuanced upgrading. Occupational structure is upgrading, but within occupational trend, um, it's more nuanced. Some aspects of job quality are increasing, others are declining. I guess that brings me on to a question as well around that this this book focuses on on the the situation in, in the UK and it's speaking to workers uh, working within the UK labour market and I was wondering what you thought in terms of some of these some of these trends for example Ying as you were just saying are applicable to to, to other countries uh, and other contexts and whether you might see very different um, you know what would be your prediction in terms of uh, different outcomes in different countries when it comes to looking at, at, at good work? Actually, I don't have to predict because I look at actual trends. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I recently uh, did a project for European Foundation for Improvement of Living and Working Conditions, looking at how job quality has been changing in 28 uh, European countries. We found, uh, we focused on two particular aspects of job quality, is task discretion and employees' voice over their work. So it has been increasing in some countries and decreasing in other countries. We don't find a uniform trend, but we did find quite, quite interesting phenomenon. And there's a convergence between the Scandinavian countries, which are traditionally leading the way in terms of job quality, and the countries lagging behind, like South Europe and Southeast Europe countries, such as Greece, Portugal, Bulgaria, Romania. So these countries are catching up. They are catching up um, over time, over the five-year year period we were looking at. And uh, we know that Scandinavian countries are doing very well. It has been like this for a long time. And we look at, is that due to their national policies or is that due to their infrastructure? Their economic structure is very different. But even after we control for economic structure and labor force composition, you find the same differential there. So that points to the role of national policies. National policies and institutional arrangements clearly make a difference to job quality. There's very clear impact there. So policymakers have a lot to do to intervene in this case. So going back to the question on, do you think the definition of good work is different across countries? I think, um, I haven't really looked at any evidence of that, but certainly in uh, the book we looked at uh, what workers value and how these different aspects of their work affect their well-being and how that's changed over time. And of course, the country, you know, the world that we live in has changed. And so that data set we use goes back, at least the sorts of data we use to the kind of early 90s. And not much has changed in uh, that regard. Uh, in, in terms of the, the hierarchy, of course, um, people might rate things like security more highly than they did in the past because there's a perception that the labor market is less secure than it once was. 
Uh, but in terms of the overall ordering of where these things rank, not much really changes, and it doesn't really change a massive amount according to, to different uh, groups of you know, social groups, like genders or age groups or or whatever. Um, and so it, it's possibly, and I'd be hesitant to make such a statement really, um, you know, with, without further evidence there's this sort of it seems to be a kind of like a universality i think in terms of in terms of, of of what is good work in a really broad sense of course if you want to start measuring things in a really detailed way there'll be a lot more nuance and exceptions etc and certainly in organizational psychology type literature there's been evidence for many years really that shows that these kind of intrinsic features of work are are really important i don't think they will um they'll go away anytime soon and of course how these works are valued does vary in terms of the quantum institutional arrangements so for instance in the uk is it's always really undervalued these i guess you might call them more vocational sorts of occupations which some of which come out really work high and really we have a lot of praise for in our book in terms of the sort of intrinsic features really underappreciated so you've got care work on, on the one hand but then there's also other kind of uh, vocational occupations, which might not necessarily be the case in, in other countries, like Germany, for example, has well-developed vocational training systems, and this is reflected in, in much smaller differential in kind of earnings between uh, professionals and people doing certain types of sort of more vocational occupations, where the UK has obviously been, been very terrible at these, and um, they're quite undervalued and so maybe uh, maybe this can change maybe bring covid in may might change this a bit i think make people reflect a bit on what is a job for what is work for what is good a good job maybe we undervalue certain types of occupations so yeah i, think I mean there's there's yeah the good i guess the the, the always the when, when people have written uh, sort of books on work over the last kind of couple of years as you say between the 1990s not much has changed but would you have said that a lot has changed over the last sort of 12 months and do you think that you would see if you go if it, if if you're going to be you know replicating the survey and asking the workers the, the the employees and stuff the same questions do you think that a lot of their um responses again i'm asking you to predict here right but um you know do you think there would be a, a major uh, major changes depending in, in particular occupations valuing particular things over others um and and if we think about like you say around sort of like security or you know safety and health at work for example if you're a, a frontline worker would that then become something potentially that's more important is that is is having good health and safety at work potentially becomes more important when it comes to the overall conceptualization of of good work um so do you think over the last 12 months obviously a lot has changed in so many different aspects but do you think a lot of what, what would have changed in terms of your your sort of findings i think that the fundamentals i think probably um never change i think in terms of the basic uh conclusions of that kind of broad ranking of the different factors of work and you kind of have work itself sort of factors at the top followed by security and then loads of other stuff which matter but just not as much like um you know hours and uh kind of uh, the pay and, and things like that and training and stuff but uh, I think the fundamentals probably won't uh, change much. And, and the only reason I say that is because in the book we did manage to look at quite a few decades of this and there's been various um, recessions. I, probably nothing it's economically maybe stuff equivalent to COVID, maybe not 
but socially possibly not. So of course it would always you'd have to go out and ver verify these things empirically. And I think with time things might settle down. I wouldn't expect any radical uh, change. I don't know what Min uh, Ying think. Well, uh, one thing I I um, I think uh, um, that might change the um, view of how important uh, some occupations are. Know, through and it becomes rather clear, especially for those you know those key workers. I think the, you know the um, the feeling of being important to the society uh, is is on the rise among those occupations. That's for sure. And also we have another question of you know how we can make sure our workforce becomes flexible, switching between different occupations, related occupations when the society needs that sort of flexibility, how can we provide that? I mean, these things are also related to, you know, the overall occupation structure and, and how important these occupations are, so on and so forth. Yeah, I agree. I think for key workers, probably working conditions and job quality did change a bit. Um, if we talk about medical workers, doctors and nurses, I guess work intensity has massively increased in hospitals. Those people are really working at very high intensity and probably delivery drivers, retail workers, these key workers, they are really playing a very important role during this pandemic. And for other workers, it might be the opposite, like if you are furloughed, you suddenly don't have a lot to do and your working time might reduce. But these are, like Mark said, probably short-term fluctuations. When the pandemic is over, when we are out of this, things will probably gradually return to normal and we'll see similar rankings of different aspects of job quality. Intrinsic job quality will become quite important again in driving your overall well-being and experience at work. So um, maybe sort of just turning uh, towards sort of the final sort of question around the, the future of work, and and obviously this is um, this podcast is for the uh, Futures of Work um, um, online magazine, and so you have some interesting insights into some of these debates around the future of work, around you know whether workers are taking our job or whether or whether it's going to end in this kind of technological utopia where we'll have so much leisure time um and i wondered if you were able to kind of um what kind of summarize some of what you kind of your key findings were on that which came out of the book around these debates about the, the future of work not to always pin to these kind of two binaries um but whether um you found any any kind of evidence around um yeah robots taking a job or, or work becoming more like a robot-like experience um so yeah what, what 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 can you sort of add to those debates yeah, so uh, we did look into, uh, th as you probably know, there's there's various measures floating about about how automatable, if that's the correct word, different kinds of occupations are, and so we kind of looked at that to see how how does that correlate with the the overall quality scores that we assign to different occupations based upon uh, evidence, and, and that seemed to show that those uh, lower quality occupations are the ones which score much higher on these automatability uh, type measures and the highest quality ones scored quite low so a negative correlation really so this seems to suggest that if automation is going to happen in the way these sorts of measures predict then in terms of the occupational structure it will just continue the general upgrading that we've seen in the occupational structure that the sort of lowest quality uh, occupations um, will continue to decline of course the the Automation debates is more about the quantity of work, I suppose, than, than the actual nature or quality of the work. And um, against that, you have 
uh, you know, sorts of automation going on in history for for decades or forever, really. And that's there's never really been a point where you have spikes, perhaps, where people might get displaced and maybe just leave the labour market. But uh, this new new jobs kind of come about and uh, and people go into those. And these newer jobs tend to be better than the jobs that people were doing before. And I think that will probably uh, continue just because there's no evidence otherwise. But prior to COVID, employment levels were just at record levels in history. The proportion of people of working age in the UK, uh, more people than ever as ever were, uh, was in work and working and active in the labour market. So I think that, uh, of course, things might change, but on any kind of measure anytime soon doesn't seem to be the case. I think the, the sort of key thing in terms of technology, future work type debates that come out of our book is what uh, you and Hugh and also uh, Ying and Min mentioned was about the, the, this changing nature of work and how technology is, is transforming work. And one thing we find in, in our book is work is becoming more controlled, it's becoming more routine and becoming uh, more intense, uh, perhaps um, augmented by kind of technological monitoring systems uh, and things at, at work, which but I think we mustn't lose sight of. And these also it happen to be some of the things that we like most about work, that having a lot of control and not just uh, doing simple repetitive tasks at really high speed. Um, so it's kind of, you know, all the all the stuff that's bad about work is is increasing within jobs. Uh, but, yeah, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that uh, at the end, at the, the kind of the other side of these technological changes is some kind of manager who is implementing these technologies and not evaluating the effect of them on their workforce. And, um, and so I think we can't forget that technology is not something that happens to us. It's something... Uh, we do and adopt and also can resist as well if you if you don't like it but um so maybe i think in terms of sort of good work and going going back to the book i think uh, real change often comes from social and attitudinal change and i think popularizing these notions of good work into kind of wider public discourse of course with really good uh, social scientific evidence will uh will help to point more attention to these things of workplaces can monitor them workers can say i'd like more control in my job because it's it's not being good for my well-being and that's fine uh so it's yeah there's a long path ahead and you know, technology can be used to help with these kind of social and attitudinal change as well i think so i don't know if uh if you have anything to add to that yeah all right uh so yeah i think i just uh, want to summarise, you know, some key elements of, you know, of what uh, Marcus just mentioned and also what we have done in the book. So um, the analysis presented in the book clearly shows some evidence that, you know, um, the low quality uh, occupational jobs, they are shrinking. If you look at the data over time, for example, over the last 20, uh, 20 years or so. And at the same time, um, high quality job quality occupations are increasing that means on one hand um the technology is taking away jobs but only on the lower end of the spectrum and at the higher end actually there are more interesting jobs um you know being created so it's 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 a positive side i mean mark mentioned you know um, also i mentioned previously you know, some aspects are uh, declining but overall the trend is positive so we see 
technology in general as a, as a positive thing for the whole labor market because it takes away boring jobs it also creates interesting i'd like to add something to that um i think it's not on the whole yes we do see the creation of jobs at higher end of occupational class hierarchy but on the other hand there's a very established literature on the link between technology and work intensity so for example francis green at um, ucl has written a lot about effort bias but effort bias technical change so when technology develops keep developing people are working harder it's linked to a process of work intensification at least in britain we have good evidence for that so technology is doing a lot of great things to our jobs but probably it's making us work a little bit harder than before yeah, that's something you know Mark mentioned. You know, that's that's one of the reasons why we see you know, autonomy is declining, and you know, intensity is is increasing. So that's probably the negative you know, aspect. And pay is rising, so there's something good happening, but other things are probably less positive. And another question related to uh, to your question is whether we are going to enjoy like holidays on the beach if robots take away our jobs. <laughs> Actually, uh, I submitted some written evidence to the House of Commons um, last year answering the question because the government was issuing a call, issued a call for evidence like addressing questions such as is it a good idea to have a universal basic income in case we lose our jobs. Uh, my view on that is it's great to have universal basic income but on the other hand people also need something to do. We know that unemployment has great detrimental impact on our mental health and well-being. Mm -hmm. So even if we do have income security, probably people still need to engage in some meaningful and high-quality work activities to keep their mental health. Great. Well, I think on, on that point, that'd be a great um, point to end on. So thanks ever so much for you guys to, uh, for coming along online to, to, to do this uh, podcast and for, um, for dis discussing your book. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.